Welcome to the SCG Church Podcast. We'd love to have you join us for our weekend services in person in our West Auditorium. You can also tune into our service live online at scgchurch.org or live on our Facebook and YouTube pages. Thanks for listening. All right, look at you guys, man. You made it. You. Here's day. Fantastic. You guys are here. You're excited. You're ready to go. Uh, so how many actually made it to midnight? You made the, Are you serious? Yeah, I feel old right now. I, I made, made it, it to uh, 3.30 in the morning. You made it to 3.30. Yeah, I couldn't sleep. I don't know why. Way to go. Hey, just so super excited to be here, I guess. <laughs> uh, I made it to New York, New Year's. Does that count for anything? Yeah, is it nine? What is yeah, that? Nine yeah, nine o'clock. Yeah, you did. Nine o'clock. I was in, by 9.30, I was like, whoa, this is getting late. Uh, anyway, glad that you guys are here this morning. Thanks for being here. Those of you who are watching online, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. I mean, we're, we're happy you're watching online. We'd rather you be here, though. Anyway, uh, no. Um, so this weekend, we're doing something a little bit different. Um, after service, we have a chili cook-off, and uh, if that is free. Make sure you grab some of that out in the lobby. And then next weekend, we have a new series that's starting where we're going to kind of help everybody get prepped for this new year. We're going to talk about how to get your house in order. So if you were like me, um, we have spent the last uh, week after Christmas taking down Christmas decorations, trying to get everything put back in boxes in the attic, trying to get everything ready so that we can be ready to hit the ground running in the new year. And uh, we're going to talk about how to do that uh, in a lot of different areas of our lives, um, uh, spiritually, relationally, physically, all that kind of good stuff. So be here next week. Uh, But this week, we're doing something different. It's called Hot Seat. And Hot Seat is you get to ask us questions. And so for this last week, we put a number that you could text in, and you've texted in your questions. And in fact, um, so many questions have come in, we had to just kind of close it down. So I printed out the questions right before service. Usually we do it live. There are so many questions, we are not going to get through all of them. So I apologize for that. I printed out a bunch of them. We're going to try to get as many as we can through this. Um, But if your question doesn't get answered, uh, we apologize. Maybe come talk to us afterwards, something like that. Uh, We can hang out afterward. Okay, uh, so let's uh, let's jump into it. This is Matt, by the way. You guys probably know Matt. He's the head of our youth department. No, don't clap. He hasn't even said anything. Clap. No, (laughs) do not clap. He hasn't said anything. That's, that's how uh, low their expectations are No, my students are, are here, you. that's why. Oh, the students <laughs> are here, okay. Uh, anyway, so uh, we're, gonna, uh, we're both going to be tackling some of these questions and, and doing our best. All right, so first question that we got in. Um, are tattoos bad? Like, does the Bible say anything about tattoos? I guess it depends on the type of tattoo. Yeah, where like, are the tattoos? There's a lot of bad tattoos out there yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Get one on your forehead, probably not good. Yeah, yeah, uh, I'll answer this quickly. Um, for a believer, I've heard it asked this way, can like a Christian uh, get a tattoo? And the answer is yes. There are three types of laws in the Old Testament, civic, ceremonial. Wait, so the reason why you're saying this, because there are, there are in the Old Testament laws, uh, laws where yeah. it talks about yeah. not getting tattoos. Uh, yeah, you can't eat shellfish. Um, you can't. No, no, but like there's laws about not getting a tattoo. Very specific. Yeah, yeah. don't carve, don't, don't, can't get earrings, things like that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you've had earrings before. Oh, I remember when I first met you. you were gonna, look, <laughs> I lived a life before I... Uh, <laughs> oh, man. It's a very life, really. Yeah, it really was. It really was. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, anyway, go ahead. It was making me relive this. Um, anyways, okay, so where was I? When we talking about tattoos? So in the Old Testament, it says not to get a tattoo, but we as Christians are okay with tattoos. I mean, we may have preferences on what kind they are and where they are, yeah, but yeah, yeah, tattoos yeah, yeah. are a non-issue. Why is that? Yeah, three types of laws really quick in the Old Testament, civic, ceremonial, and um, moral laws. Um, we aren't Jewish, and neither of us or none of us are priests in the Jewish faith, and so ones per- pertaining to tattoos and shellfish and things like that were pertaining to the people of Israel, or more specifically, some of them, to the priest of Judaism. And so for us as the New Testament believers under a new covenant um, who are followers of Jesus, um, you can get a tattoo. And those requirements um, aren't laws yeah. for us today. So in the Old Testament, there's very specific laws for yep. people who are at a specific time and place in order to yeah. make them separate or different from the nation the surrounding purpose. them. Absolutely. Um, and then there's these moral laws, which are laws that are anchor themselves. Yeah, they anchor themselves in God's personality. God's immutable, doesn't change, therefore those right. laws don't so change. So the example of temper, so, so laws that maybe apply only to Israel would be like don't eat shellfish, yep. right? Um, or uh, law, laws that apply to everybody is don't torture and harm kids. Yeah, yeah. yeah right? Like yeah, that's, yeah, a, that's a, a pretty universal, universal law, law, I hope. Yeah, it's yeah. An objective moral law. Okay, so that's why tattoos are okay for Christians. Mm-hmm. All right, good. Um, how do you approach dating as a Christian? Okay, so I was um, a young adults pastor. Matt is now a young adults pastor and a youth pastor for a very long time. In fact, um, Matt is my brother-in-law, and mm. he was one of my students. It was. <laughs> I made it through. Yeah, and I, I yeah, 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 and I made him marry my sister. Yeah, that was a um, requirement. In order to uh, get a job. You here. love it. So anyway, um, 
I heard a talk one time about this, and I've, I've used it ever since, is um, if you're a person who is single and you want to get married one day, uh, not even if we want to get married, this is just wise advice, is you should do a few things. The first one is this, is you should um, clean out your closet, mm. meaning deal with your baggage, your emotional and relational baggage. Figure it out. Don't just think, okay, I'm just going to suppress my family of origin issues. I'm just going to deal with it. One day, I'm going to meet my prince or my princess, and we're going to live happily ever after, and all of those things in my closet are going to disappear. Wrong. I'm going to say something you said once. It was real wise. You said, um, there's no such thing as marital problems. There's two people with problems to get married. That's right. The only problem. That's right. That's right. Marital problems is, hey, um, can I have the toothpaste because uh, you're using the toothpaste. Who locks the door at night? Who locks the door at night? Those are marital problems. Yeah. Um, But people who have problems in a marriage are, I hate you because I'm angry at my dad. Yep. Those are marital <laughs> problems, okay? And you want to deal with those yeah. before you even get into a relationship. All right. Um, this is like too quick, too early, too fast for some people. You They're got it, like, dude. You got it. We've had coffee right. to have it. All right. It. Here we go. Um, other one is get out of debt. Yeah. Get out of debt. Yeah, no Work one's... hard because no one wants to bring that debt into a marriage. Marriage is going to be challenging. It's worth it. It's awesome. But when you bring in the emotional baggage and you bring in a financial burden, that's that much more pressure that you have on that relationship. And then this is the big one. Stay out of bed. Stay out of bed. Is don't go and sleep around. Don't sleep. The scripture is very specific. That sex takes place in a marriage. And marriage between man and woman, which I will talk about because I've gotten lots of questions about that. Um, and when you live outside of those bounds, there will be consequences. And so you know what I've never heard from somebody? So I've done weddings before. You've done weddings before. Um, when we do the premarital counseling, I've never heard someone say, I'm just not sure if I should marry them because they don't have enough experience in the bedroom. Yeah. I need them to go and sleep with a few more people before we can be together. I've never heard that before. I've heard the opposite before. And so it's not just in the scriptures, the command. It's really good advice. Now, here's the other thing I would say. Make a list of non-negotiables. Make a list of non-negotiables before you even go on a date with somebody. Because here's what happens, and I'll illustrate it like this. Is, um, have, you ever, have you ever gone to a restaurant, and you've ordered something, and you're just like so, so hungry? And then they bring out your order, and it's wrong. But then you decide, I'm so hungry, I'm, I'm going to eat it anyway. That's a good illustration. Yeah. It's real good. Um, because you'll settle. That's good. You don't think that happens when you're dating? Mm. Man, I'm desperate. I'll date anybody. Fine. I'll take you. Let's go. Mm. You settle for junk food. Yeah, you're not. Yeah, yeah, they, not they say you're not just hungry. You know, you're thirsty. Oh, you're thirsty. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're thirsty. That's it. Yeah. That's it. You yeah. thirst. Yeah, you're thirsty. Which is like why young adults ministry. Yeah, no, exactly. No, exactly. Um, so you got to make a list of non-negotiables. Because then when that person comes along and you go, ooh, I made this list before I knew you. And although I would love to settle and I'm at an age where I feel like I should be in a relationship. Ah, my non-negotiables. Sorry, can't do it. So make a list of non-negotiables before you even start. Um, you got to be a believer. And that's number one, is they have to be a believer. You Absolutely. cannot, as a Christian, date somebody who is not a believer. It doesn't work. Practically, it doesn't work. The scripture is very clear about it, and you're going to go, but I'm going to win them over. Yeah, flirt to convert is what it's called. Yeah, don't work. It don't not work. not going to happen. Trash. It's not going to happen. As a young old pastor, it's trash. Trash. Never works out well. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I can, we could do, a, we've done an entire series about this. We won't go into it right now. Okay. Um, what does it mean to be blessable? So that's something that we say around here a bit is uh, that you need to be blessable. I'll tackle this one. Um, to be blessable means that this is kind of my very like simple uh, understanding and what the, the way that I use it, is that I have the assumption, and the scriptures seem to be uh, clear about this, is that God wants to bless you. He loves you, and he wants to see you thrive. And so God wants to bless you, but there are reasons why he doesn't bless you. Now, there could be reasons that are beyond what we understand, because we don't have the picture that God has, but there could be reasons because you're simply not doing what you're supposed to do. And so, for example, this morning, um, I had all three of my children uh, here bright and early, which was awesome, after New Year's Eve, as they were all in a cheery mood, having a good time. There was only like a few punches thrown. Mm. And, uh, and so my kids, I sat them down, and we had all of these things that we were supposed to do today. But because of their disobedience, I said, look, I can't bless you with those things. I can't bless you with those things. That switch that you want to go play after this, I can't bless you, dude, because you've been disobedient. You have not been a blessable child today. 
Mm. Well, I think God looks at us sometimes and goes, look, I want to bless you, but you're living in disobedience. And so how can I bless you when you've been living in disobedience? And so that's what it means to live a blessable life, is to live an obedient life in which God looks at you and goes, I want to bless you. Okay, um, ooh, this one's good. Does a Christian that refuses to recognize and repent from sin or a sin still go to heaven? So like a person who is living in sin, but says they're a Christ follower, which I think is like, just if you think of it, such a dumb question, like, I'm sorry if you asked this question. <laughs> the one person's like, well, I'm going to New well, church. That's cool. So uh, sorry we love it. you, whoever sorry you are. Sorry about it. Um, he doesn't. I do. It's kind of like asking like, how, how much of an idiot can I be before my wife divorces me? Yeah, yeah. It's like one of those yeah, questions, yeah. Like, you know? Can I follow Jesus without following yeah, so, Jesus? Yeah. So wh- how would you answer this? Do I have to? Um, yeah, so I would say that first, it's important that we understand when a Christian sins, they are still called justified. That's a legal term in scripture that means right with God. However, you're relationally distant, right? So if I sin against my wife, at the end of the day, I'm still married to her. Are we still in the covenant of a marriage together? However, there's now some tension that's entered into our relationship with one another, right? If this individual is unrepentive of their sin towards God, um, I, would, I would say that it's like being in a marriage, you've sinned against your spouse, and you're unwilling to repent, which is the natural expression of turning around, admitting you're wrong, so you can remove the tension, so you can be close once once again. For a Christian that, that's adamantly living in sin, whatever, whatever that looks like, that uh, isn't having the, the natural expression of repentance, I would say that maybe they don't even have the Spirit of God in them, mm. because God's Holy Spirit would be internally convicting them to turn around, repent, and say, God, God, I'm, I'm sorry. I want to draw close to you once again. Just like if I sinned against my wife, I would want to remove the tension so I could be close with her once again. But this is challenging, right? Because you aren't saved by your performance, therefore you can't lose your salvation by your performance. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, we're saved by grace through faith alone, not by works. Um, so, so yeah, I don't know, what are your thoughts on this? It's kind of... Yeah, so it's one of those things where um, I would be concerned. Yeah. Because let's say, let's give an example, a really uh, common one. Um, you are living with somebody that you're not married, with, married to, okay? Living with your boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. Uh, scripture's clear about what you should do, and yet you're not doing the thing that you know that you should do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're living in, it's not just like, man, I messed up, because all of us sin, all of us mess up, but it's like a, I am actively sinning against, I'm doing what God told me not to do. Um, there'd be a couple things. Is one, um, it's not about, like you said, it's not about you've done something so bad that God can't forgive you, or, or that you're beyond uh, redemption. That, that, that's not what's going on here. Mm-hmm. And there's not like, we weren't saved by good things that we do, so we're not going to be condemned by bad things that we do. Yeah. It's, it's uh, grace. But I would question, <clears throat> have I received the gift of salvation if I'm refusing to follow Jesus? So it's kind of like, um, I'm following Jesus only when I want to. Yeah, you want him as your Savior, not, not your Lord. Right. And, and so that would make me kind of question, well, was I really a Christian to begin with if I continue to live in rebellion? And so there's this really scary passage in the scriptures, and it, I think it should scare us all, is <clears throat> Jesus says that one day people will stand in front of him, and they will say, Lord, Lord, like we did all these miracles, we prophesied about you, we did, and he says, depart from me, for I never knew you. Mm-hmm. That, would be very, that would be the worst moment that you could ever experience. And so I think we're supposed to go, hey, check ourselves. Are we following Jesus? Not because we can earn our salvation, but to make sure that we have, we're, we're working out our salvation. So uh, what is it that Dallas Willard quote? He says, uh, grace is not earned, but it does take effort. And so it's one of those things that I've received grace, so I need to live in it, um, but I'm never going to earn it. Uh, hopefully that, that yeah, all, all, in Matthew 15, uh, 9, it says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. It's the idea that, with the, that, that you're proclaiming that you live in accordance with what God wants, and, but yet your heart, the volitional center, uh, decision center of who you are and what you do is, 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 is disconnected from that, that, that statement, and, and that's inconsistent. And so I would say that the person probably doesn't actually have faith. Yeah, so it would be one of those where it's like, how close to the edge can I get without falling off? The answer is don't go to the edge, Yeah. right? Stay away from the edge so that you don't. Okay, uh, we got this one in a bunch. Is um, at death, do, does it matter if we're cremated or buried? What does the scripture have to say about it? Well, scripture doesn't actually tell us anything about um, cremation, but like uh, historically, a lot of like, Christians believe like you couldn't because of the resurrection of the dead. But it's kind of silly to believe that because if God spoke the world into existence, he could probably materialize some people out of dust. From dust you come, from dust you, you return, you know? Um, and so, yeah, and also he could bring people back to life that have been dead for centuries, you know, and decaying. So uh, I'll say it simply, uh, Scripture doesn't say it's a sin, therefore it isn't a sin. Okay. 
Uh, I, I found this one funny that they were asked today, what is SUG's outlook on drinking? <laughs> of course, they're asking this the night after yeah, seriously, I'm two sorry. years. <laughs> asking for oh, a friend. Um, this, came, this probably yeah. came from online. Yeah, I did. Like, yeah, I said. Asking for a friend. The lights are all low. I'm drinking. Um, yeah, so what is SUG's stance? So, so I'll tell you that the scripture um, obviously has no problem with alcohol, as we see that Jesus drank alcohol. Yeah, he didn't turn it into like... Coca-Cola. Yeah, like that would have been cool, though. Water and oil. Um, so alcohol isn't the issue, obviously. It's, uh, it's about being drunk. And so the scriptures say that we are supposed to be of sober mind, yeah. meaning that we should never drink until uh, to the point of... Altering um, your consciousness. Yeah, altered consciousness. Um, so for me, and this is true of my whole family, is we just don't have any alcohol. And we do this not just for uh, theological reasons, we do this for more practical reasons. So um, one, I know how addictive my personality is, is uh, the way that I drink coffee and eat food, it would be bad news, okay? So I'm just like, I'm not even going to go there. Um, The other thing is, is I don't want my kids to be comfortable with alcohol. Like when, uh, so there's a funny story of when I was growing up, because my parents never had alcohol either, is we saw a friend of ours at the grocery store, and uh, I looked into his grocery basket, and I was like seven at the time, and, I, and he had um, a beer in there. And I said, to, I said, such and such, I thought you were a Christian. Why do you have beer in there? And my dad was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> sent it. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I'm seven. Yeah. What do I know? Yeah. And he said that was the last time he had alcohol. No way. Yeah, he felt convicted by it. And so, so I was like, okay, you know. And so, it's, it, you know, you have, to, you have to, as far as, like, your family goes, decide what you want to do. But th- there is a line, a very specific line about getting drunk. What, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, uh, we shared this last night. So December 31st, 2010 was actually the last sip of alcohol I ever had. I got alcohol poisoning. I was thrown up a bush, and I was just like... God, you got to have a better life for me, right? And, you know, my story is I grew up with kind of a family of alcoholics. And so for me and my, my household, like, it's just we don't, we don't buy alcohol. It's not something uh, that, that we do. And i just seen the destructive power of it. And so why play with something that has a capacity to ruin your relationships, ru- ruin your life? You know, again, there's nothing intrinsically evil and wrong about alcohol. Jesus did turn water into wine. Um, however, right, like, uh, why play with something that has the capacity really to alter your future in a really negative way? Yeah, but if you do it and you have beer, you have wine, where, yeah. don't, you know, I, I don't I'm not care. against that by any means. Yeah, yeah, this is just our practical experience. Yeah. So, um, okay, um, let's see. This one says, does a non-believing person who is married to a Christian get salvation through their spouse? And they're crossing their... Fi- no, I'm saying... Uh, <laughs> wow. Yes. A, okay, no, that's a... That's, yeah, all right. So let me, let me give this person some grace because maybe they've read a verse or something in the Bible where it talks about when someone gets saved, the whole household then is saved, yeah. right? Yeah. So maybe, maybe that's what they're referring to. What yeah. do you think? Uh, I wish this was the case, but nowhere in Scripture can I find this to be the reality. You know, if, if you were here when I shared the story of losing my dad, um, he was an unbeliever, and I, my mom is a believer, and I'm a believer. Um, Romans 10.9 says, if you confess that Jesus is Lord and God had risen him from the dead, that you will be saved. Mm-hmm. doesn't say your household, doesn't say your family. Um, you do not get to heaven on the coattails of someone else. Um, you have to make the personal decision for him to purge and forgive your personal sins. Um, time and time again, it's, it's, it, it always moves it to the personal not the familial. Yeah. Uh, I got some kind of more ooh, intense ones. Maybe I'll save those towards the end. Uh, how about this one? Can you give us a brief update on the new school project? Yes, I can. Uh, so here's the deal. is We're going to have some more meetings in January. We had an, uh, our first one about, what was it, November. And we had gr- uh, a bunch of interest in it. We've had around 70 families sign up and begin the process of application for the school. So we're hoping to really do um, another information kind of launch in January. Here's what we need, though. And we've had tons of interest in employees and all that kind of stuff, and so we're working through that as well. Um, we need people to commit. So we have a ton of people who are like, yes, I want to go, but they haven't actually signed up yet. And so we need people to, to uh, kind of cross that finish line, sign up, get enrolled so that we know how many teachers that we need to hire and all that kind of good stuff because we are launching uh, in uh, this fall. Now, Do you have a date that you kind of want people to like, have like made a commitment? Yeah, like yesterday. Yesterday, okay, yesterday, it's the 31st yeah. last so year. So yesterday. Oh, cool. No, but we, sooner than, uh, the sooner the better so that we can know, um, you know, Get all of our ducks in a row. Get all, everybody hired because we will come to a point where we can no longer accommodate everybody, get all the classrooms ready and all that kind of stuff. So you'll hear more about that in the coming weeks, though. But I think you can go to scgchurch.org forward slash school. You'll watch a video. You can get information. You can do all that kind of stuff. Okay. 
Um, I'm confused about the Trinity. Please explain. Me too. Uh, that's like, yeah, like uh, explain the Trinity and give four examples. You're like, uh, um, well, how about I give a definition and you give kind of like the... I'll like, give you my best, get, like my illustration. best illustration that yeah. I've, you yeah. know, come across. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, here's the definition of the Trinity, right? Um, it'll still leave us wondering because God is of a supernatural agency and so nothing in the material, natural world will mimic something that's supernatural by nature, right? But here's the definition. Uh, within the one being that there is God, there simultaneously exists three co-equal and co-eternal persons, namely the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so you can kind of... Okay, so you got the Godhead, Yep. and in the Godhead, the Godhead is one, one God, but there's three persons, Father, Son, and they're not and the Holy other, Spirit. but they are all God. Okay. Yeah. All right, so let's see if we can make sense of this. Now, every illustration that you have about the Trinity and that you've ever heard will fall short to yep. some degree, because there's just no way to, to illustrate something that is unique and, you know, whatever. Mm. Um, so here's the one that makes the most sense to me, or uh, and maybe will help you is you remember those old t-shirts, like the Pink Floyd t-shirts that had the prism on it and then it had the light coming through and then shining through it? Do you guys remember this? I said, yeah. Yeah, dude, yeah, I remember yeah, it. Yeah. I remember I lived it, dude. Yeah, yeah. Um, here's kind of the, the, the idea, is imagine that you have a clear prism like that and it has three sides. And it is one prism, has three distinct faces, but when you look through one, you can see the other two. That's sort of how you can think about the Trinity. It is one God, it is three persons, and when you look at one, you see the other two. Does that make sense? No. no I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's all I got. Should I give him the water one? No. Okay. That one's not good. I know. It, it okay. Too, but... All right. That's why you're still in youth. I okay, am, here dude. we go. I am. It's true. <laughs> that's rude. That was rude. Um, you know what? Here's a youth question. Will my puppy be in heaven when I get there? Why? <laughs> also, Santa. Let's talk yeah, about yeah, him oh next. Gosh. No? Um, <laughs> oh, the hate mail you're going to get. Um, I'll, I'll answer it this way. Um, if you have a dog, yes. If you have a cat, no. no I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I think cats, spiders, and mosquitoes, Genesis 4, like after the fall. Uh, no, no. Um, yeah, it, it's, I, I'm going to answer this question differently than I have historically. Um, and it's absolutely plausible. Um, that our animals could exist. Uh, now, I don't believe that they have a soul uh, and, or a spirit in the sense that you and I do, that something that transcends maybe the, the, this world or interacts with God like we can. However, um, heaven is going to be an incredible place that's good. And I would imagine that the good things that we experience here, like relationships with our animals, have the, we also have the capacity maybe to experience that in heaven. Um, heaven is, 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 is a place where, where everything is good, right? And if we've enjoyed our relationship that we've had with some of our animals, it, it's plausible, absolutely, that God could uh, bring them into heaven so we can enjoy their presence there. I think the good news is even if they're not, yeah. you're not going to care. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. Was that too rude? Was that rude? I mean, I heard some people like, oh, how dare you? I love my cat. No, All right, whatever. Um, let's see here. Oh, uh, okay, this one's interesting. Why do we call him Jesus when the English translation is closer to Joshua? That's right, actually. Um, so the Hebrew name for Jesus was Yeshua, right? But the New Testament was written in Greek where the name would have been Lesuus. Um, and, and then from there, you have the English translation of the Greek, which is actually Jesus. And so Joshua and Jesus are actually the same name. So it's just going from Hebrew to Greek to English, and you have this transliteration from the... Hebrew to the Hebrew Greek, to Greek to the English. And the Greek to the English. And in fact, Joshua and Jesus, uh, they mean Yahweh saves. They, they literally both mean the exact same. Right, right. Okay. Um, you guys can write that down if you guys want. It's fine. <laughs> I'm sure you use that later. Uh, let's see here. Is our physical healing or that of a loved one always dependent upon our faith? Now, that's a really interesting question. Is our healing dependent upon our faith? I think what this person is getting at is like, if I believe more, then God is more likely to heal me. Like he's obligated to? Yeah. Or it increases my odds of healing. Hmm. Um, and so the answer to that would be no, um, because we see tons of examples of people in Scripture who had either no faith or very little faith, and Jesus chose to heal them. And so it's yeah. not dependent upon our faith. It's dependent upon God's will. But then you also have these other examples. Their faith has healed them. Yeah, where Jesus says, he heals somebody, he says, and their faith has made them well. And so it's this weird kind of mix there where it's between God's will to heal and also there is some faith that it's involved um, as well. 
And so I don't know if we can explicitly answer this. There's no like formula. Like if I just believe and try harder, then God's going to heal me. That's not how this works. Because it could be that it's in God's will for you not to be healed. Yeah. So m- part of my story is um, I have had, and I've shared this many times publicly, is this thing called OCD. And it has bo- brought so much anxiety and depression into my life and incredible amounts of doubt when it comes to my faith. Um, but I have prayed so many times, God, I wish you would heal me from this this mental uh, just pain that I experience, and yet I understand why you don't. Because I, I see how God uses it. He uses it to help other people who have the same problems. He's, it, he used it in order to push me to study, to learn about my faith. He helps me to relate to people who also doubt, like I doubt. And so I get it. I'm like, God, if I were you, I probably wouldn't heal me either, because I see what you're doing, although I would really like to be healed. Mm. And so, you know, there's this, there's, there's a lot at play that I don't think we're fully going to be able to grasp. Um, okay. Um, oh, this is, a, this is an interesting one. If someone is a good, loving person throughout their life, but never was blessed enough to know about God, will that person, when they die, be able to be in God's presence? So this is a really classic question. It's usually formulated something like, what happens to those who never heard about Jesus? So let me, uh, let me give you a quick survey. Is in this room, and this is just for people who are Christians. Um, in this room, think about someone whom you know that is not a Christian. Is the reason why they're not a Christian, this is in your heart of hearts, so you don't have to tell them, in your, in your heart, do you think they're not a Christian because they lack information? So you don't have to tell who it is, but just raise your hand, because they lack information. One person, okay? Two, three. Two, now, um, those of uh, the, the same people, um, do you think they're not a Christian because they lack interest? Raise your hand. Like apathy? Like they just don't care. They don't care enough to know about God or Jesus or anything like that. Okay. So that is, that is most of the people who raised their hand said that. Here's what I think, especially within our context, is the reason why people don't know God or come into a relationship with Jesus is not a lack of information. It's a lack of interest. Right? Because most people are more interested in pursuing pleasure and happiness than they are about truth Autonomy. Yeah. and God. Yeah, being their own God. And so um, right off the bat, I would say that's probably not the issue. It's not a lack of information. But let's say that it is a lack of information. Um, this is always like... Well, general revelation. Yeah, when you go into these, these uh, discussions about like, what about... It, it usually is smoke screens, but I'll clear it up for you. A couple options. What about those people who've never heard they're on an island or whatever? Well, okay. Here's three views. One, um, they're going to go to hell, and there's nothing that they can do about it. So this is the view that all of humanity has sinned, we're on the sinking ship, and that God chooses whom he wills and plucks them off, and the rest are damned to hell. That's option number one. Option number two is that God looks into the future, and he knows every human heart, and he orchestrates the world in such a way that he places us at a very specific place and time so that we may know him. Meaning, um, the reason why they never heard about Jesus is because they would have never accepted Jesus anyway, if they had. That's option number two. Option number three is that God judges them based on the knowledge that they did have. So, for example, you've got creation and conscience. Creation is as they look out into the world and they go, you know what? This isn't an accident. There is a God. And as I look into my heart, because it says that God's law is written on our hearts, I look into my heart and I see this goodness and I see love and I see, and I look at those things, I also know what God is like. And so how they respond to that knowledge, God will judge them based on that. Now, Jesus' death is, is still enough in order to um, save those who have never heard about him. Think about the Old Testament and all the saints and, and the heroes of the Old Testament. Um, but they would have to have some kind of uh, response to that general revelation. So at the end of the day, do I know which one of those is true? I do not. But here's the point. Is as long as they're plausible, that's good enough. It does, it, it, so it really puts the onus on us. It's, okay, so if any of those are plausible, then God... There is no excuse not to pursue God. He is just. He is loving. It's not going to be for a lack of information or because you were born in the wrong place or the wrong time. God will make sure that you have every opportunity to know him, which also is a part of like, I, you know, I talk to people and say, well, 
such and such, they died at 19, and they never really had an opportunity to. And I go, look, it wasn't a lack of time, because if they just needed more time, God would have given them more time. You're not going to stand in front of them and say, well, God, if I just had more time. What's it, Bertrand Russell? His famous thing, that he's like a famous atheist from the last century. He said, um, someone asked him, if you stand in front of God one day, he does exist, and he says you're going to hell, what will you say to him? And he'll say, not enough evidence. You didn't give me enough evidence. And God will say, I gave you all the evidence that you needed. And Romans says that uh, 18 or 21, uh, verse one, or chapter 1, it says uh, we're left without excuse. Right. And so it won't be because we weren't given enough time or evidence. We were born in the wrong place or wrong time. So that's Can I add one thing to that? Yeah. I think I would disagree with the premise that, um, that they're good. I think most people, all people, given the right circumstances, will choose the wrong thing. Um, there's something within us, and the Bible gives us language to describe what this is. It's sin. Sin is, 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 is um, corrupted all of us, right? And it's separated us from God. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, right, that all have fallen short of the glory of God, that all have sinned. And even it says elsewhere that no, not one is even good. Uh, God alone is good, is what Jesus says. And, and so I, I would disagree with the premise that they're good. Um, I'll give you an illustration, and I'll do this quickly, because uh, I know you want to get to the next question. But um, imagine that you woke up, and uh, there was, uh, let's say tomorrow morning, you heard some, like, like someone in your kitchen. So you go out, you see that there's a complete stranger, someone you don't know, and they're making breakfast. And you're like, get out of my house, and you're yelling at this person, and they just keep responding to you, I'm a good person. No, I'm, I'm a really good person. They start listing off things that they've done, helped grandmas cross the street, whatever it is, right? They start listing off really, really good, open the doors for people, whatever. I'm a really, really good person. I'm a really good person. You get out of my house. Your goodness has nothing to do with you being allowed into my property, into my home. Next morning you wake up, and maybe it's a relative you haven't seen in a while, a brother, a sister, a grandparent, a parent, whatever it may be, and they're in your house. You'd be a little perplexed that they somehow got into your house, but that you would allow them to stay in your house because you have a relationship with them. See, heaven is God's home. Your goodness has nothing to do with it. It's do you have a relationship with who owns it? The homeowner, right? Our goodness isn't a factor. It's do you have a relationship? Scripture couldn't be clearer. The only way that we can know the Father and go to heaven in John 14, 6, Jesus, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but except through me. I'm the door. I'm the gate. If you want access to heaven, if you want a relationship with God, you need to go through the medium, the person of Jesus Christ. Mm, that's good. Um, yeah. I'm going to assume they're uh, clapping because it was a two-parter. and we That was it, yeah. No, they clapped for me when I got Not up here. Just, were, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, we, have, we have 10 minutes. We, get it. we have pages of questions. We're let's just go to 11. Just jam. Or yeah. 12. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll just pretend like this is the 1045. Yeah, so yeah, you guys yeah, got yeah. here 15 late anyway. Let's just yeah. keep going. Yeah, yeah. I saw you. 11.15. Um, okay, real quick, real quick, real quick. Uh, Elaborate on the concept of judging, and it talks about Matthew 7, 1. Oh, this is a great verse. Even if you're not a Christian, you love this verse. Right, do you have it real quick? Can you pull it up? Do you have Matthew, Matthew uh, 7, 1? We, yeah. should, we should, probably should be more prepared than this, but you know that it's off the cuff right now. Yeah. Uh, Matthew, uh, I don't have this one. Uh, judge, it's about judging others. Yeah, what about it? I got it. Okay, okay, go ahead. Read it. Uh, read the first couple of verses. Uh, do not judge or you too will be judged. I realize I have a Bible right here. Uh, for in the same way you judge others, uh, you will be judged with the measure you use. It will be measured to you. Okay, that's good. So everybody loves this first part. The first is do, do not, not judge. judge or you too will be judged. I mean, every person in prison has a tattoo that says only God yeah, can judge. Yeah, yeah. Like it's my favorite. I love this. Now, here's the problem, is they only read just the first line. They don't continue to read the rest of it. Because if you, if you read what the rest of the passage talks about, um, it goes on to talk about who and how to judge people. <laughs> That's what the whole thing is. And so, like, uh, in verse uh, 6, it talks about, um, can you pull it back up? I wasn't done with it. Give me your Bible. Oh, I can do this. You got it. But you can't. There it is. Oh, okay. Got it. All right. Uh, verse 6. What does it say here if you continue on? It says this. Uh, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you into pieces. And then it goes on to talk about false prophets and things like that. Um, I, I don't know if you're familiar with the Old Testament. There's a book called Judges. Mm. It's all about judging. Um, and so when it talks about not to judge, that's not what it's saying. It's not giving this blank statement like, oh, just be a moral relativist. Don't discern or judge anything. No. It talks about who to judge and how to judge. And the first thing when it comes to judging is don't be a hypocrite. Remember it talks about this whole like get the plank out of your eye before you get the speck out of your brother's eye. What is that all about? It's not saying don't help your brother. It's saying Get your act together first before you try to point out other people's stuff. 
And, and so um, we're supposed to be discerning. We're supposed to make judgments. That's what life is. Parenting, that's what parenting is, is we're supposed to judge. Can they watch this television program or not? Can they hang out with these people or not? Should I go to this place or not? That's all judging. What we don't want to do is be hypocrites. We don't want to be people who point at everybody else before we get our act together. Yeah, I'll add one thing, right? This verse does not prohibit the examining the lives of others. Rather, often the spirit of pride or haughtiness, right? Superiority that's often done in. And Paul also elaborates, and he says, and when you're at it, um, you should keep those within the church in whom you love accountable so that you guys may grow together. Mm-hmm. But those who are outside of the church, you don't get to tell them how to live. Because they haven't agreed to the life that you've agreed to. They don't believe the things that you believe. Well, you gave an illustration for this once. What did I, was it you good? Said, yeah, it was great. It was really yeah. good. You said, uh, like, I don't go to my neighbor's household and tell their kids what time their homework needs to be done. They're not in my family. Right. I don't have the permission or the ability, right, to put my laws and, and requirements on people that aren't inside my family. If you clap, you're clapping for me, just so you know. Okay. No, uh-uh, uh-uh, no. I remembered it. It was here. It was in there. Yes. Uh, but then on the same time, we're supposed to be salt and light in which we're supposed to preserve the culture and the morality and things like that in our own lives and, and fight for justice and the culture and things like that. So that it's, a, it's, it's not just do not judge. There's a lot more to it. And you know what you have to do? You have to know the rest of the Bible in order to know who and how and when and all that stuff. Scripture, interpret yeah. scripture. Okay. Uh, We've got to hustle. All right. Five minutes. Um, oh, where do dinosaurs fit into the Christian timeline? Uh... Am I, this is me? Yeah, this is Oh, you. this is cool. Yeah. Uh, well, it depends on how you, like, you view the age of the earth. I'm an old earth creationist. I do believe in intelligent design. God created the universe 14 billion years ago, you know, uh, planet earth 5 billion years ago. So I think dinosaurs fit in about what's they, they, uh, 65 million years ago. And the latest uh, modern uh, paleoanthropologists say that like human beings, they've existed for about 500,000 years, the homo yeah. sapiens sapien. And, and so um, I don't believe like Adam and Eve really hanging out like riding T-Rexes, you know, like I don't think that was like, <laughs> a, I don't think that was a thing. Okay. Because the second part of this was where do Neanderthals fit into it as well? Um, very interesting topic. Uh, I'll just point you to William Lane Craig and Josh Swamidas just wrote a new book where they kind of wrestle with the population genetics and where it all fits into the timeline stuff. You don't have to agree with it. It's very interesting though. And the argument is because population genetics and um, some of the more recent genetic discoveries is that we, as our species, interbred with Neanderthals. So all of us and Neanderthals were a part of our species and all that kind of stuff. 4% of our DNA. Yeah, very interesting. Um, 99% 99% of you are not interested, so we'll keep going. <laughs> um, do you age when you're in heaven? And what age are you? Mm. How old are you? Trust, trust me, this is not a heavenly body. <laughs> <laughs> is this a perfected body? Yeah, uh, perfected. Uh, that's a good question. Uh, all right, so scripture doesn't tell us. No, it doesn't tell us at all. But some people think that 33. Because Jesus died at 33? Jesus died at 33. Well, I just turned right. 30, so I'm going with that. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're okay. Um, but it doesn't say. It's kind of a guess. All right. Uh, will we know each other in heaven? Yeah, it seems to indicate that we will, right? Um, uh, 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 Elijah and Moses came back. Jesus came back. And, um, uh, that was at the transfigur- transfiguration. But then um, Jesus comes back, right, in his perfected form, and, and people seem to recognize him and things along those lines. Do souls in hell ever get a chance to go to heaven? C.S. Lewis, Lewis got Yeah, C.S. Lewis, yeah, yeah. the book, I've said it a million times, The Great Divorce, yeah. really, really interesting. The point of The Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis says, and this Walked is not a theological, this is more of a, a philosophical interpretation of heaven and hell, and he says that the gates of hell are locked from the inside, meaning nobody in hell wants to go to heaven, which you think is crazy, until you realize why they're in hell and why people are in heaven, and it's because in hell, it's my way, I get to do what I want to do. And in heaven, it's I bow down and submit to the Lord. Mm. And so if you don't want to do it out here on earth, why would you ever want to do it in eternity? There are trajectories, right? So one is right. a continual separation from God. The other God gives you near, what you want. Yeah, exactly actually what turns you, you over. And so when you read his description of it, um, it starts to make a lot of sense. In fact, he talks about how different people go from hell and they go to heaven and then they're giving every reason why they don't want to be in heaven and they want to be in hell. And it's the same excuses that we give here, why we don't want to know Jesus, why we don't want to go to church, why we don't want to be involved, all this kind of, it's fascinating. Read it's it. Book. Yeah, great book. Okay. Um, do we go to heaven when we die or do we just go to sleep? I'm assuming this is like, like sleep. this is like, yeah, soul sleep kind of thing. 
what do you got? Yeah, uh, the classical view here, um, and we, we get this from uh, the moments of Jesus being on the cross, turns over to, to a, um, a, a person next to him being crucified and says, you'll be in paradise with me today. So the classical orthodox view of this for uh, a really long time now is uh, um, to be present, uh, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Um, and, and so I don't personally believe in soul sleep. Right, but there are there are and theologians that do. But you said when Jesus turned to the the, the thief and thief he on said, the cross, he says you'll be in paradise, paradise in today. Today, like yeah. Right. Okay, so it seems as if there is no like intermediate period. You, it's direct, whatever. Okay. Mm-hmm. N.T. Wright has a great uh, stuff on this. If you ever want to read about heaven um, after you believe, yeah. he talks about like life after life after death. Very interesting. He has some some good stuff on that. Um, if God created the world, where did God come from? <laughs> great question. My daughter asked me this question. She's 10. We were driving the other day, and she goes, Dad, who made God? And I said, well, darling, let's talk about that. Um, It's interesting, because I first encountered this question when I read the book, The God Delusion, by Richard Dawkins about 10, 15 years ago, 10 years ago. And that is like kind of his sole argument, was, oh, it doesn't make sense that there is a God, because if there was a God, then someone would have to have created that God, and then someone would have to create that God, and then you have this infinite regress. But what he didn't understand, and Christians have believed, and, and Jews have believed for thousands of years, is that God is self-existent, that yeah. God is the uncreated. And so, by definition, um, Aquinas, I believe it's Aquinas, says that God is the greatest conceivable being, meaning he has all the great-making properties. He has the, all the omnis, um, that he is all good, he is all loving, he is all knowing, and he is self-existent, meaning he wasn't created. And so what you're asking is, is who created the uncreated? It's just, yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. The question doesn't make any sense. You go, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on. That seems like there's something fishy going on there. Like you're defining your way out of the question. Well, I would say, I don't care what you believe, you have the same problem. You have to believe that something existed. You could say it was matter, that matter is eternal, or some energy is eternal, or the multiverse is eternal. Everybody believes something is saying, or your alternate, if you don't believe something is eternal, is that everything came from nothing. Well, that seems illogical. And so what is the most likely scenario? That all of this is an accident, and there are some, by the way, we don't have time for this. I would love to have time for this, is if you believe that it was like energy, and then energy turned into matter, and matter turned into what we say, there are some really, really, really strange um, conclusions that you arrive at if matter exists forever. Like, have you ever heard of Boltman's brains? Mm-hmm. Things like that. Like, it's more likely that you and I are a brain that just popped into existence three seconds ago. Yeah. And we believe that we see people and that we have this history and all this kind of stuff, but it's all an illusion and we're going to disappear in a couple seconds. Yeah, no, that's a... So you're saying, right, so whether it be the, the atheist argument or the theistic ones, right, both have to believe in something that is... Eternal. Eternal, yeah. maybe material or material, right? One is personal, like a God that decided to create. One is this multi-universe generator yep. that's been... Yeah. So you don't get around it. No, okay. Some of you guys are just like, I just, I mean, it's New Year's Day, dude. I'm just <laughs> trying to chill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was here for the chili. Let's wrap yeah, it up. Yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, let me, let me, whew, there's two... I've been in a bunch. I'm going to have to, we don't have time for all of them. Let me get you to the one that's probably the one that was asked the most. Um, is, and I'll, I'll, this person said, my son is gay and carries a chip on his shoulder when it comes to God in the Bible. He asked me the philosophy of SEG in regards to the LGBTQ community. What do you believe? And we got this uh, in different forms just over and over again. And so I guess I'll probably end with this one. Um, 15 years ago, my dad and I were talking about what are the hurdles that this next generation are going to encounter when it comes to Christianity. And I told him, I think it's going to be um, sexuality and gender. And he thought that was crazy. He said, no, dude, that's such a small population because he's a baby boomer. And uh, 2% of baby boomers identified as LGBTQ. And he goes, dude, that's such a small percentage of people. There's no way. And at the time, you think about it, like, you know, mid-2000s, there wasn't any major political uh, leaders or parties that would even stand up and say that they believed in gay marriage. And so it was so far off of his radar. I said, dude, this is going to be the thing that people are going to have the most difficulty reconciling um, sex, sexuality, and gender and what the scriptures have to say about it. Fast forward, here we are. And if you take a snapshot of this last year, as far as that issue goes, just think about the interview with our newest Supreme Court justice. And she is asked, um, what is a woman? And her response was, I don't know. I'm not a biologist. 
Now, you have to realize, no matter where you stand on this issue, there has been a lot of change in the last 15 years when it comes to this. When it comes to um, uh, uh, gay marriage, transgenderism, uh, homosexuality, uh, there has been a huge transformation, which already makes me want to just pause, even if I'm not a Christian, and go, what happened? Because like for thousands of years, humanity believed this, and then all of a sudden we believe something completely different. So what's happening culturally? The other thing I would point out is, um, you and I like to think that we're just independent thinkers, and that we've made the decisions, and we have these desires, and, we have, and, and no one can tell us what to do. I don't think we give as much credit to how much culture has um, sway over not only our, our thoughts, but our actions. So I've used this example before, is if we went to, to the time of Genghis Khan, and let's pretend that we sat down with a soldier, and he says, I have these two desires within me. One desire is I want to just go and kill as many of the enemy as I can. I have this bloodthirst. The other is I also want to marry a man. You know what in that society they would say? Is you need to suppress the sexual desire um, because the penalty for that would have been death. And you need to continue to pursue the desire to kill the enemy. To kill, kill the other. Um, now, if we fast forward and we talk to that same person, you know what's happened within our culture? We say, no, 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 no. You need to suppress the violence that you have, and you need to pursue the sexual desires that you have. See, every culture has their list of here is what is appropriate, here are the desires that you should suppress, and here's the ones that you should pursue. And so when we think, oh, I'm just a free spirit, this is how I feel, no, you're very much a byproduct of the culture that you live in, or at least the, the desires that you'll pursue. So I think we need to step back and go, okay, let's get above culture for a moment here, get, get above even our desires, and let's start looking at not only historically what has been true, but let's start looking at like how we make decisions for truth. So the first question I would have when it comes to sexuality, and by the way, this doesn't just have to do with the LGBTQ community, this is every desire that we have, whether you're heterosexual, homosexual, who defines the boundaries of sex? And who gets to define what marriage is? Who's in charge? So you might think, well, I'm in charge. I get to define. Well, we've already said that's not really true. Because much of what you believe about yourself and your actions has really been defined by the culture around you. And if you have some perverse desires, I don't think you would say you should pursue those. And so that's not really a good way to define what's right and wrong. So then you might back up and say, well, culture defines what is right and wrong. Government defines what is right and wrong. And so it's right if it's made legal. I don't think we would believe that either. Because, like, I'm pretty sure there are some people who own slaves that would say, okay, then it is right. Because it's not against the law. So I don't think government, and by the way, if you fast forward 100 years, there's going to be a completely different set of laws. And so I don't think that's a good way to define it. And so for me, I define it based on what God has told me about his law and about himself. And what he's told me about the law and himself, I can deduce from nature. There's natural law, but I also deduce from scripture. He tells me explicitly. And so when I look at natural law and what humans have always understood about sexuality and marriage and gender, and I look at the scriptures, it becomes pretty clear. Here's where the boundaries when it comes to those issues are. And so you could say, well, that's just, that's just ignorant. I don't know. I've thought about it quite a bit. I've wrestled with this a ton. And we all got to draw our boundaries somewhere. And so my question to you would be, well, where do you draw your boundaries? Who gets to decide what's right and wrong? So let's say that you are a Christian and you come to the conclusion where you're like, okay, I do believe that the scripture is God's word. And I do believe through creation that he has described gender and sexuality and marriage in such a way that it is only between one man and one woman for a lifetime. Now what? Well, let me give you a couple of things. Um, one, I would say it doesn't change the fact that we're supposed to love. So I have people in my family as well. I'm sure that most of you do too. Uh, statistics are that 25% of Gen Z now identifies as LGBTQ, which is a whole other interesting discussion um, of why there's been such an uptick. Um, but at the end of the day, it's, well, I, I, got, I love them. What do you mean? And they'll say, well, if you don't agree with me, then you don't love me. That's the silliest thing I've ever heard. That you think because I don't agree with you, I don't love you. Have you ever been in a relationship before? My wife disagrees with me constantly. 
If we had to agree with each other all the time in order to love one another, we would never make it, and either would you. In fact, the reason why we disagree with each other and we tell each other the truth is because we love one another. Because if I didn't love somebody, I wouldn't care. I'd be like, whatever, dude, you do you. I don't care enough to even tell you the truth. And so our first priority is we have to love. And that's what we do at this church. This church is welcome anyone who walks on these doors. We don't care what you do. We don't care what you believe. We don't care where you come from. We don't care what you've done. doesn't matter. It's a huge open front door. You come and you can hang out with us as long as you want. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing. I'm, I'm less concerned with those issues. We'll talk about those, and we do all the time. But here's the central question. The central question is, was Jesus who he claimed to be or not? Because I think we're asking the wrong questions sometimes. The questions we're asking is, well, do they believe and think like I do? Wrong question. Wrong question, because guess what? Um, let me phrase it this way. Do you think that Jesus did not rise from the dead because he believed something different about sexuality than you do? Well, that would be weird. So that's the question. Is, is Jesus who he claimed to be? Did he really rise from the dead? Because if he did, then we're going to have to deal with what he says. And we can't ignore it, because we're either going to deal with it now or we're going to have to deal with it later. And so did he rise from the dead? That's what we want you to answer. That is the first question. Before, we, before you even consider changing anything about your life, the first question is, who is Jesus? Is he who he claimed to be? Then we'll figure out all the rest after that. That's the first question. And this is true not just of the LGBTQ community. This is true of everybody. People who have been through multiple marriages, people who are addicted, people who are walking in here, don't believe it. I don't care about any of that. The first question is, who is Jesus? Then we got to figure out, now, if it is true... I need to align my life with what he has to say. Well, what does he have to say? The Bible's really clear about it. It really is. There's a reason why the church has been unanimous for a couple thousand years on these issues and why most of human history has also been unanimous is man, woman, marriage, that's the only place that you can have sex. And when it comes to gender, Genesis, God created the male and female. And so there's not a whole lot of debate there. There's people who like to try to make debates about it. And, you know, that's interesting. We talk about all the passages and the context. And did they understand these relationships? And did they understand it? I've been through those debates. And we can talk about it personally. And that would be great. But at the end of the day, the question is, who is Jesus? Did he rise from the dead? And if that is true, then what does it mean for my life? So let's pray. Lord God, thank you for... uh, Thank you for this this time together, Lord, where we get to wrestle with some of these more difficult questions, um, questions that I think in this day and age um, have real implications for our lives and for the people that we love. And so, Lord, I just pray that we would be people who are able to be your hands and your feet, to love people who, um, when they see us, they may not think that we are the most loving and most caring people in the world, but we want to change that perception, Lord God. We want people all around us, no matter what they do, what they think, what they believe, to understand that, that you love them and that we love them. And so, Lord, um, we thank you for the space where we can come and ask difficult questions because we are not afraid. We believe you are a God of truth and, um, and that you can be trusted. Lord, we thank you. We love you. It's your name we pray. Amen. Amen, amen. Hey, um, real quick, before we get out of here, um, one more family kind of announcement is uh, one of our staff members whom we love, Denise, is uh, going to be getting a, a new job at a church that's closer to her home. And so I just want to thank her for all that she has done here, how much we love her and appreciate her. She's going to be out in the lobby, so make sure you say hi to her, give her a hug on your way out, and grab some chili. Other than that, we will see you next week. God bless you guys. We hope you enjoyed this message. And remember, we have live services on Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings in our West Auditorium. Or you can watch live online at scgchurch.org or on our YouTube and Facebook.